The Cincinnati Reds are the first team to wear green uniforms to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Or are they? We dive into the history of St. Patrick's Day and Reds baseball right now. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked on Reds your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. I am Stephen Offenbaker alongside Jeff Carr, and we have a passion for baseball. We have a passion for the Cincinnati Reds, and we have turned that passion into information for you. On today's podcast, we've got Cam Miller from Cam Miller Films. Cam's going to talk about the tradition of the green uniforms on St. Patrick's Day and the Irish influence on Cincinnati. Jeff and I are also going to tell you what we think is awesome about St. Patrick's Day. Let's get right to it. Here's our conversation with Cam Miller. All right, Reds fans, it's been a very tough week for us. Uh, We've had a lot of uh, surprises to deal with, and all of them have not been pleasant. Uh, So to lighten things up a little bit, uh, we wanted to uh, take the rest of this episode and celebrate both one of mine and Jeff's favorite holidays of the year, which is St. Patrick's Day. And we couldn't think of a better way to do that than to bring in probably one of the best Twitter follows around as it relates to the Cincinnati Reds and the history of baseball uh, and to a greater extent, the history of Cincinnati. Uh, and that is the Twitter handle at Cam Miller Films. And of course, the man behind that, Cam Miller, who is probably one of the most well-informed Reds historians around. Cam, welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you very much. Longtime listener, watcher. Uh, been on a few times. And every time I do, I walk away. Like, that was fun. That was a lot of, that was a lot of uh, good times. So I'm happy to be here as always. You guys are some of my favorite people. I love interacting with you on Twitter, and I can't wait till we can all sit down and have a brewski one day. Oh, I am so looking forward to that for sure. And I know that, you know, Jeff and I, when we were in two separate shows, used to run you ragged trying to get you to do things for us. I so loved it. At least loved it's easier it. now that we're all in the same place at the same time. But uh, one of the things that I thought would be fun to talk to you about today, and I think you're going to blow my mind with some information on it, because when I presented this to you, Uh, What I ask of you was for you to uh, come with a history lesson for us because it's common knowledge that uh, this trend of spring training for baseball teams to wear green versions of their uniforms on St. Patrick's Day was started by the Cincinnati Reds. And uh, you said something off air earlier that has my interest peaked. So how about a little history lesson on uh, the green uniform, Cam? Absolutely. So. I myself always, I was duped. I'm going to, I'm going to admit that right here on the, on the airwaves. I was duped. I was told that the Reds were the first team to ever wear the St. Patty's uniform. Now, technically they were not. And here's why in 1909, or I'm sorry, in 1899, 1909, they did it too. But in 1899 was the very first time the Philadelphia Phillies wore green uniforms. Now here's the catch. They, introduced them on St. Patrick's Day in spring training, and they just kept them. They liked them so much, they kept them all year. Now, you may argue that since they kept them all year and that was going to be their main uniform, the Philadelphia Phillies in green makes no sense to me, but we'll go with it. 
And the fact that they introduced them on St. Patty's Day, that makes them officially the, the, they had the first green uniforms, but it wasn't a special occasion. Fast forward to 1978, March 17th, 1978, Dick Wagner has an idea. He has a dream and it's for his team to wear green and white uniforms to celebrate the heritage of Ireland. So I will never forget when I was at the Hall of Fame and uh, a little kid came up and saw, I think it was the Pete Rose uh, uniform sitting up there in a display and he had no idea what it was about. And I told this father and son the story and they were just amazed that the straight laced red legs who for the longest time couldn't wear, have facial hair or they couldn't have, you know, black, had to be black shoes, no, no, no stripes or anything like that on their, on their shoes it had to be very straight laced. They wear suits and ties on road trips that they would go and have the audacity to wear green and white. It was just perplexing to them, but it's true. So if you want to say that the reds are the first to have as a special uniform, I will not argue that point, but they were not the first to do it. The first professional team in the modern era was actually the, I think they were called the Miami Floridians. They were an ABA team in the 70s, 71 or 72. And they had some uniforms that had green on, but they also used on their, their back, they had O. So it was like O Calvin, O Miller, <laughs> O Offenbaker. O, o Offenbaker, so I love it. Yeah, which I love that, by the way. You need to get a jersey with that on there. And I, I thought that was pretty phenomenal that they did that. And so they were the, the first professional team to do it in an actual regular season game of the ABA. But our Reds were indeed the first to do it as a special occasion. Now it cost them 15, I think it was $15,000 to outfit the whole team um, in green and white. And I'll be posting some things on Twitter on St. Patrick's Day. What the, the team shop used to sell uh, after the, the game, they would put the uniforms of players that were either cut, released, or were no longer on the team. And they would sell those at the 580 gift shop downtown. For 50 bucks, you could get a game-used St. Patrick's Day shirt of that year. So nice. 78, 79, 80, 81, 82. That was 82 was the last year that they did it. And they brought it back in 2014. So thank you, Dick Wagner. You did something that fans cannot yell at, at you about. <laughs> Fire and Sparky was pretty rough, I will say. But um, the green uniform tradition is one that I know a lot of spring training fans look forward to every year. So were they the only ones that kind of did that back then? Was everybody else looking at them yeah. like, what is oh, wrong with you? The first, I'll tell you the story about it. The first game, 1978, March 17th, they're playing the Yankees. The Reds win the game 9-2. to two. Um, And George Steinbrenner hated them. He <laughs> ripped them apart in the press. Green uniforms. Who do they think they are? I think mostly it was because his team was having a lousy spring up to that point was probably why he was such in a bad mood. And of course, George Steinbrenner was perpetually in a bad mood. So it doesn't surprise me at all, but yeah, he hated him. The fans loved him. I will never forget the best quote I ever heard was when it's so funny how in today you think in terms of today, how that would leak on the internet. If the reds were going to do something crazy like that, it would be out two months in advance. New air would have some leak out leak. Well, look what happened yeah. to the Bengals when they tried to do a new uniform right. this year, right? They were on eBay before anybody ever before, even knew what was happening. Exactly. It would never happen today. But Dick Wagner and his team pulled it off. Nobody knew until an hour before the first pitch. An hour before the first pitch, Johnny Bench walks in. He's like, he thought he got traded to the A's was his comment. <laughs> but the best comment was Sparky Anderson, who said, 
that he uh, this is what he says it could be just another sparkyism but he says he gave the team an irish pep talk a la the gipper <laughs> and gave him let's go hit him high hit him low let's go and sent the boys out there to battle i don't know if that's true or not but that's what sparky said after the game the only player that refused to wear it but finally everybody talked him into it was concepcion concepcion didn't want to wear it he was like i'm not wearing this green and white nonsense <laughs> but you know the the prezes and the um or the roses and the benches, they had something to say about that. So, yeah, uh, it's so interesting to know, think that the Reds of all teams, the most conservative franchise in history, are the ones that kind of set that standard for, you know, uh, St. Patrick uniforms. What, what well, kind of shut the, it the, down? You know, I have no idea. I have n- why that, they only did it. They only did it. And there's no record of like why they decided to do it. I have a theory that it was probably cost. They were trying to cut costs and you know how that goes. So, but it was so popular. Um, I, I just, yeah, I can't believe that. I didn't realize it wasn't until 2014 when they restarted it. Mm-hmm. And then they had a special patch um, in 2018 for celebrating the 40th anniversary. So I think it's cool. I love it when they do it every year. Um, it's such a different, just, it's just something different, something to do. And it doesn't matter. It's just for the fans. Like that's one of those things that when you go there, I appreciate that. Now, I'm not a big fan of all of the other uniform combinations that they do during the season, the eight, 85,000 different camouflages and this and that's and the flags and this. I mean, I'm very anti that because I feel like if a 70 year old is going to a Reds game, he wants to see his favorite player. His first memory should be a Reds player in a Reds uniform. Yeah. That's just me. But in spring training, I think you can get away with that and have some fun. And I really think that they do a great job with the Reds do a pretty good job with that in spring training with as far as their fan relations so are you ready to discover your purpose and leave an impact wherever you go mission possible written and read by new york times best-selling author and athlete tim tebow encourages you to find your inspiration pursue your purpose and create a life for yourself that counts Ignite a new spark in your life through this new inspirational listen. Mission Possible by Tim Tebow is available wherever audiobooks are sold. Well, I was at the uh, spring training game in 2019 on St. Patrick's Day and on, in uh, 2021, last spring training, I was also right. there for uh, St. Patrick's Day. So, uh, I have a great time with it. And I think, I think it's, I think it's fun. I think that, uh, I think that it's a tradition that should continue on. And just for our listeners that don't know, you have a very long affiliation with the Cincinnati Reds hall of fame. So you've, you've held these jerseys in your hand from, from, from back in the day, haven't you? I have, I even remember seeing the sweat stains in the armpits of a Mario Soto Jersey. And I remember being like, wow, Mario Soto sweated in this and I'm holding it in my hand. <laughs> um, not a, everybody was as keen as I was about that. I thought it was pretty cool, but I was like, that's disgusting. <laughs> it was just the coolest thing ever because you could see the green. It was like running. I mean, the quality back then, it wasn't like it is today, sure. um, but it was just to, to see them all in these bags that, that they haven't been touched and they're just these white plastic bags. And I would grab them. We would try them on and we would just have fun. Um, but I think the statute of limitations is over, so I can say that publicly. <laughs> I think we're fine with that. Well, you know that uh, the the jerseys are not the only Irish ties to the city of Cincinnati, and I know that you've uh, you've prepared some information for us to kind of tie it all together on on this St. Patrick's Day edition of the Locked On Reds podcast. 
about some influential uh, Irish influence on the city and the ball club. Absolutely. So I knew this from before, from all of the classes I would teach at the Hall of Fame and the talks I would give, but I, it didn't dawn on me that he was the first professional player. That's right. The Cincinnati Reds boast the very first professional player born in Ireland. Now, of course, we've had a lot of Irish heritage throughout the, the, the club, but the very first player to ever play professionally, Andy Leonard, 1869 Red Stockings. His debut in the National Association was May 5th, uh, 1871 with the Washington Olympics. So he made his debut a few days before some other Irish-born players did. But of course, Cincinnati has the first. Why wouldn't we? We're the first in everything. So of course, we would have the first Irish-born ball player. Andy Leonard, born in 1846, um, comes from comes over when he's two years old. He uh, he starts to take up a uh, the hatting business with his father. His father passes away, so he decides to make a little extra money playing on these semi-pro teams. Turns out he's a pretty good ball player in New York City. Well, he meets Charlie Sweezy, and they decide to go west. And by west, I mean Cincinnati, Ohio. And they go to Cincinnati in 1868, and lo and behold, Harry Wright, is starting up a ball club and says, you fellows play ball. Why don't you join me? And the rest is history. So he uh, was a hatter with Charlie. They had a shop downtown and he also played ball on the side for this little team called the Red Stockings. So he's the very first um, ball player of Irish that was born in Ireland. And he was only, he was only uh, born in 1846. He came over in 48. So it wasn't like he spent any time in Ireland, but he was born in Ireland. So that's pretty cool. I think one of the coolest things about uh, Leonard, and I didn't know this until I looked it up, was that he almost hit for the cycle in one inning. In 1869, he gets a single, a double, and a home run. And he's a triple shy of getting the In cycle. one inning? In one so they went through their lineup inning. three times? Three times. <laughs> Them 69 boys were not messing around. They weren't messing around right at all, were they? It's wow. insane. I mean, and the thing about Andy Leonard is he was like, I want to say he was 5'7", maybe a buck fifty. This is little mighty midget running around and he was a superstar. And, you know, that's one thing. I mean, yeah, we're talking about him being of Irish heritage and he's the first ever professional player of Irish descent. But those guys, there's a, we always talk about the George Wrights and the Harry Wrights, but I'm telling you, those players were phenomenal. I mean, Andy Leonard comes over and he's just tearing it up. Um, one of the best of all time. And nobody ever talks about him. And I think that eventually as time goes on, um, he'll be in the Reds Hall of Fame and, He'll get the recognition he deserves. But yeah, as far as what we're talking about, the first Irishman, um, Mr. Andy Leonard, who was named, by the way, get this, Andy Jackson Leonard. He was named for Andrew Jackson, the president, because his fans were such, or his family was such big fans of the American culture. They named him after a president. They just knew what was up. They knew he was going to be playing the American pastime. Like they, they knew what was going on. Who was the best? Irish born Ooh, red. That is a great question. And you know what? I have that answer for you. Now, this is touchy for me because I had, uh, I have a problem with this gentleman and I'll get to that in a second, but here's the deal. Tony Mullane. Okay. Tony yep. Mullane was inducted into the Reds Hall of Fame in 2010. Um, he, without a shadow of a doubt, is the most athletic and the best player. Um, and he was also the second player to play for the Reds of Irish descent. And he played seven and a half years. He won 163 games. Now, he was a superstar. He pitched both left-handed and right-handed. There was a game he was playing where he was getting shellacked. He was pitching right-handed and it was like seven to nothing. And in the fifth inning, he says, you know what? I'm going to go lefty. No need to call the bullpen. He just starts throwing left-handed. The Reds ended up winning that game nine to seven. <laughs> so he shut him out. 
Um, so he was one of the first ambidextrous, if not the first ambidextrous pitchers um, in Major League history. It's hard to prove if that was true or not. It's one of those things where you just don't know, but it's claimed now, that he was now the do first. Do you get two separate lines for that game? <laughs> like, do you get great you, question? How does that work? That's a very good question. But can you imagine him in the pen? Like you're getting all the work. You're, you're just a workhorse. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if there was such thing as a pen, I mean, I, one year he, um, his record was, and I don't know off the top of my head what the record was, but I, or what year it was, but it was, he was like 26 wins and 24 losses. <laughs> so oh he was pitching like the man had a rubber arm. He was, he was, yeah. But here's where I was going to say the, why I have a problem with him. And it's, it's a touchy thing because you, he was such a great athlete, but, there there was a stark side to Tony Mullane. He he um, was violent to his wife. They got divorced because of violence. He was an alcoholic, had a really bad alcohol problem. He opened up a pool hall, probably not the best idea for somebody that has a drinking problem. Um, got in a debt. It just it was as far as the human being side. He was arrested several times. I mean, if this happened, if there was a Twitter in the eighteen eighties nineties, he would have been trending almost every day for all of the trouble he got in. So I have this love-hate relationship with him. He's one of the greatest Reds players, but it's a shame that his personal side kind of, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why he's not in the um, um, National Baseball Hall of Fame is because of that. And I know how that, you know, how that can be. Sometimes you look at their personal side as well, which, you know, that's a debate for another time. But um, yeah, he was not a nice human being, but he was the best player from Ireland the Reds have ever had. That's like the ultimate argument, right? Because we're talking about so many different hitters that have the problem with the shift. It's like, what about right. the pitchers who have problems? <laughs> like, hey, right. yeah, just throw it the other hand. That's okay. <laughs> right. Just throw it. Yeah. Just throw it the other way. See what happens. And he was good. I don't know what the numbers were, but he was really good. I mean, from both sides. I mean, and it's just to have that ability. And I know it's a different era because you're throwing you know, a different style back then, right. but still uh, just an amazing, amazing feat to be able to do that. As far as the athlete goes, he was one of the best ever that to don a Reds uniform. This episode of the Locked on Reds podcast is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure the often pointless and seemingly intimidating questions is your Odyssey an LX or an XE? And then wait while a person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand that their warehouse happens to carry. We have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket on your mobile device. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30 to 50% more, even 100% more at times on the same parts from the chain store or car dealership when you can get them at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com prices are reliably low for every customer. You don't need a special discount. You don't need a special code. You just need to go to rockauto.com right now to see all of the parts available for your car or truck. And when you go and check out, make sure you write locked on in their comment section where it says, how did you hear about us? So that they know that Jeff and I sent you to rockauto.com. They have amazing selections, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. That's at rockauto.com. I would, I would love to see how Major League Baseball would handle the, the statistics on that. Uh, I can tell you 
that uh, about a decade ago out in Hawaii here, I, uh, I had the good fortune of coaching a, a young man in the nine and 10 year old all-stars that could do that. And we actually had to seek a ruling from Williamsport about how his pitch count would be handled. And they decided that both arms would be treated wow. as one. That he did not get any extra pitches. So uh, you do have to make special rules in those types of situations. And listen, Cam, before we, before we run out of time on this thing, um, you know, I know that you are a student of the overall history of Cincinnati in the, in the greater area. So here's something I don't know the answer to. And, you know, I know that Cincinnati is uh, known for its German influence, but is there any Irish influence uh, around the city or within the city? Oh, absolutely. And I think if you want to tie it into the, the, the baseball side of it, there were several, and I'm doing this uh, film on, on ballparks, there were several cafes around the ballparks that were run by Irish. Um, they would come straight over from Ireland and, and in order to make money, they would make you know, whatever, whatever it was they were good at, whether it was beer, whether it was sausage, whatever, whatever they were good at. And they would set up purposely around the ballpark, knowing that the crowds would, would be coming, walking or taking a horse after the game to one of these local establishments. So there was such a, a, a great Irish tradition, especially in the 1890s. You're talking post uh, potato famine when, when the great influx of, of the uh, Irish folks com- came to America. So there, there is this um, tie-in with Reds baseball, and I think it's, an, and I think it's important that we, you know, we recognize those things. I know that the the Reds have an Irish Heritage Night, and I'd also like to see them do more because there's also many, there's many cultures that never get the recognition, and not just because of what they do on the field, but it's also the people around the game, people that, you know, made special recipes, Cracker Jacks, uh, Big Red Smokies. These were these were all things that came from other places. The ideas were sprouted in other places, and they came here to Cincinnati, whether it was German or whether it was Irish. But there is a very strong Irish presence, um, especially when it comes to the, you know the Cincinnati Reds that we don't talk enough about. I know we like to celebrate it during the, the you know the St. Patty's holiday, of course, but there's a lot more to it than that. And I hope that you know maybe the Hall of Fame one day will have an exhibit just for all the different cultures. Like right now, it's Los Rojos. Um, the Latin American is the big exhibit there now, right. and it's fantastic. I absolutely encourage you all to go, but I hope that they do something for the Irish and the German and the Japanese as well. Now that we're starting to see more of an influx of, of Japanese players in America. So there's so many cultures and so many stories to tell. And I know that being Cincinnati and, and the first and the best, we need to start telling those stories. Well, before, uh, Jeff wraps this thing up. I do want to give you also an opportunity to just talk about a few of the things you're working on. You know, you always have some of the most interesting projects uh, around town. So, uh, you know, if there's one or two that you would like to highlight and and have people to pay attention to, and and please, by all means, plug your uh, social media feeds as well when you do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm working on a film for the Reds Hall of Fame called Finley and Western. Um, We're kind of in the post-production stages. Um, I'm also doing some baseball films on some of the local uh, games around here, local teams that played professionally, which was the Kentons and the Ludlows, who both had significant places in history when it comes to the Cincinnati Reds and the ballparks where the land where they once play, we're going to go and recreate 3D models of, of those parks, just like we're doing for the Reds ballparks, um, doing a book on the Finley and uh, Western uh, project, also doing a play called the R9, which follows Red's family throughout history from 1869 to 2020. Uh, musical projects, got those in, on, on the horizon. Some are baseball related, some are not. I'm going to get my grunge on again. 
like I'm 22 years old back in the day. Uh, I'm gonna gonna shake out, try to grow the hair out a little bit. Steve, maybe you can help me with that, and we can get together. Oof. And I am I am going. not the guy for you. That's a that is definitely an out. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm with you. We got to We got to do something about that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing. There's always something going on in Cam Miller Films, and my Twitter handle is of course at Cam Miller Films, and I will debate you. I will talk with you. I am not one to block. So if you want to come at me, come at me. I love it. I love the interaction. It's so much fun. Are there days where I want to drink a few whiskeys and kick back and just say enough of this? Of course, but I love oh, it. I, I follow you on social media. I know there's days you're drinking a few whiskeys and lighting up a cigar. Absolutely, my friend. Absolutely. Well, Cam, I appreciate you coming on and talking with us about some great Irish heritage when it comes to the Cincinnati Reds. Absolutely. And I also want to say that we need to get an Andy Leonard jersey made yes. that and we need to wear it. I cannot wait. He deserves it. Thanks again to Cam Miller of Cam Miller Films for taking the time to stop by and talk the history of St. Patrick's Day with us. And before we get out of here, Jeff, I think uh, that we should stay on this St. Patrick's Day theme. St. Patrick's Day is one of my favorite holidays of the year. I love it. Uh, I always have a great time on March 17th. And uh, why don't you tell me what is your favorite thing about St. Patrick's Day? Guinness. No, I'm just kidding. No, St. Patrick's Day is a wonderful day to me. I One of those um, genetics tests or DNA tests or whatever we did a couple of years ago found out that there was quite a bit of nar- Irish in the Carr family. I know that seems very uh, yeah hot takey. Uh, but when it comes to St. Patrick's Day, there's so much that I like. And most of it is just hanging out with friends and Eating Irish food. I love me some good old shepherd's pie, man, or some fish and chips, and you wash it all down with a nice, cool Guinness. I, if I'm not, I, why on earth do I not have a Guinness ad right now, Steve? I should have a Guinness ad. You should have a Guinness ad, or at the very least, you should have a Guinness <laughs> in your hand. Uh, you know, for me, Jeff, one of the things about St. Patrick's Day is it started out much of the same that you just said for me. Uh, I enjoy the food. For me, it's the corned beef and cabbage with all of the the fixings that go along with that. I like a good shepherd's pie too, don't get me wrong. I like the Guinness. I like the Irish car bombs, little Jamesons with, a, you know, uh, some Baileys. Uh, I know we sound like alcoholics right now, but I'll tell you what, <laughs> I'll tell you what St. Patrick's Day has become for me. And one of the reasons why I love this holiday so much now is because I have melded St. Patrick's Day with my annual baseball trip to Goodyear, my annual spring training trip. So for the last several years, I have done the St. Patrick's Day events in Phoenix. So there's a great Irish bar down the street from uh, where the Arizona Diamondbacks play in Phoenix. Uh, I've been to see the Reds wear their green jerseys for the last couple of spring trainings. That allowed fans. Of course, I missed in 2020 and again this year because of the lockout. But uh, it's really become just a fun baseball trip for me that happens to also coincide with this holiday I love. And I have friends meet me in Phoenix and we do St. Patrick's day together and we go to baseball games and it's been, it's just been a great time and it's really become a tradition for me uh, that I've, I've melded these two distinctly different things together and I have a blast and I just, I enjoy the culture. I enjoy the music. I enjoy the people all getting together to have a great time uh, both at the ballpark and out at uh, whatever Irish establishment you choose to venture to. 
If the High Kings make it, it's a song that I'm going to listen to today because in the High Kings and Socks in a Frying Pan and Dropkick Murphys and Flogging Molly, like all of those different bands, because it's a wonderful day to listen to all of those songs. But mostly I, I am going to miss the fact that you, you have the tournament going on. It's the very first day of the NCAA tournament, at least when it comes to the first round, I know the first four and all that other stuff happened a couple of days ago, but this is the day that all of the tournament happens. And I'm going to miss being that guy. That's like, can I get one TV on the red spring training game? And everybody's like, why on earth are you giving a crap about spring training baseball over tournament basketball? But yes, our very first spring training game isn't until tomorrow, so we don't get to enjoy it. Hopefully they wear those green uniforms tomorrow and be like, hey, happy belated St. Paddy's Day. And let's be honest, the Irish, I mean, time is a construct to us. So, yeah, I, I think that that should definitely be something that they do tomorrow against the Guardians. But overall, I, I love the fact that you get to come together and everybody gets to enjoy it. And I get like, if you get some green beer, that's great. If you get some Guinness, that's even better. One of these days, I'm going to go to the motherland and get me a Guinness. Cause I hear it's, it just hits differently when you're in Ireland and I can't speak to that, but I've heard that. And I want to figure that out for myself. It sounds like a great opportunity for a locked on reds road trip. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot, Steve. You know what? This is a wonderful day. And we have spent this day talking about the history, talking about what we love about St. Patty's Day, just keeping the vibes good because it's been kind of a rough week to be a Cincinnati Reds fan. And coming up next week, as we begin five days a week, we will be looking at the first couple of spring training games for this Reds team. We'll wrap up what's been gone on during the weekend, everything that has taken place right here on the Locked On Reds podcast. Make sure that you are subscribed. Thanks for making us your first listen of the day. Follow us on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Follow us right here on YouTube. That way you don't miss anything, especially right here on YouTube, because we got so much great stuff coming for you extra stuff that you're not going to see in your podcast feed. It's going to be right here on YouTube. Now that you made us our first listen, go make your second listen locked on MLB. Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully, is a veritable encyclopedia of baseball knowledge. He is going to tell you baseball present, baseball past, and he's going to do it in a way that's just going to blow your mind. Check out Locked On MLB, just like Locked On Reds, free and available wherever you get your podcast. Steve, first of all, Slanche. Happy St. Patty's Day. Slanche. Uh, uh Look, spring training is about to start as far as games are concerned. We are getting ready for a season of uncertainty, a season of transition for our Cincinnati Reds. But when people come and listen to us, what can they expect? They can expect us to be locked on Reds every single day. Have a great St. Patrick's Day. Slow